You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. And make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. This podcast is part of the series Family Matters with Doc Dino. So this is our fourth week and final week on Family Matters. My prayer tonight is your hearts are open to receive what God has. And as Pastor said, lives and families get changed. I want to give thanks to the Lord to start with. So he dragged me out of the mire of unbelief several decades ago and brought me into his kingdom. I want to give thanks to my lovely wife, God's perfect gift to me, for believing in me as a husband and a father. And I want to give thanks to Pastor Robert for believing in me to bring the word of God to the congregation. It's really hard for me these last couple of weeks to focus on family matters with what's going around the world. Um, You'd have to really be blind and deaf not to know that millions of families right now are being displaced in the Ukraine, Uh, women and children away from their, their husbands and fathers who are stuck in Ukraine they project up to 4 million refugees, 2 million in Poland now. Just think of everybody in the state of West Virginia being displaced somewhere, and all from their families. Uh, Matthew 24, 6, the Lord said there'll be wars and rumors of wars before the end comes. So it's just another sign that the Lord prophesied that his coming is, is nearer. So please come, Lord Jesus and take us out of this mess. And we welcome that day when that happens. Um, I have a Ukrainian flag on my front garden to remind me of how fortunate we are here to be with our families. We're extremely fortunate to live in this country and what we have to remind me to pray for them and that we will not forget what's going on around the world. God created families on this earth to do battle against Satan and to be in relationship with him. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, and that's what's going on right now. We are his plan. There is no better plan than us. He entrusted us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sent us his Holy Spirit and told us, that's enough. In the Old Testament, when Israel worshipped other gods, God called it adultery. It was a changing of an affection from one to another. Can we put up the first slide? Next slide. Right. So, um, in the... uh, in Exodus 23 of the Ten Commandments, we frequently forget about that. We know what they are. They're not the Ten Invitations. <laughs> They're the Ten Commandments and Nine Invitations. And number six, I believe, is to not commit adultery, which is prevalent and rampant in this country and a, a large cause of marriages falling apart. Anywhere from 20 to 60 percent of Spouses cheat on their husbands or wives, either way. 
God can restore it. God does restore it. God is a God of forgiveness. By God's redemptive spirit he puts in us, people can forgive each other, but often that doesn't happen. But it can happen. Cody Carnes earlier this year uh, put out the song Too Good Not to Believe, and he sings in it, Don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. He can restore marriages. He can restore families to their children. He can cure cancer. Anything is possible for God through the power of release and forgiveness. But wouldn't it be better to have preventative measures rather than restorative measures in marriages that keep marriages together? Men, what I've read is that men will cheat on their wives if their egos are bruised, that not being ministered to at home, and amongst other things. When communication breaks down between a husband and a wife, it leads to abnormality, and that abnormality eventually leads to death of a marriage. Women stray from their husbands when their relationships are broken because they have a need to be in a relationship. Some of them are physically or emotionally abused and should not be in that relationship. Um, if their uniqueness for relationship is not there, they will frequently, they can, they can stray. Minimum 20% of American women, anywhere up to 50%, have done that. In this day and age, with the economic pressures we're under, we frequently have husbands and wives both working. For the husband, it's normal as part of what's in us to conquer, for conquest. That's who we are to conquer the marketplace, so we want to work. For women, they're doing it for economic reasons or their job is for their fulfillment because they're not fulfilled at home. When a woman gets into the workplace and she has an unfulfilled relationship at home, we can understand why there's so much infidelity in the workplace today in America. So much showed that we now have uh, human relations rules about that workplaces, what goes on. So a woman still in the workplace can find fulfillment in her job, but it does not take the, does not replace her unique need to be in relationship. Today's family is the womb of tomorrow's society. It's incumbent for us to stay together as families. Uh, there's nothing wrong with both families, both parents working. It just makes it more challenging. Uh, today's society, compared to years past, presents different social fluxes, unique stresses, and moral changes that we have. And raising children with both parents working makes it more difficult, especially when you're entrusting your children to babysitters during the week, and they're exposed to different value systems, and they have to adjust to the value systems of their parents on evenings and weekends. It doesn't make it impossible, it makes it harder. There's nothing wrong with a woman joining the workplace, and if she does, advance as far as you can go. <laughs> do the best you could do unto the Lord, and do it well. There are many women that are more talented than men, and can certainly advance in their jobs. It just makes raising kids more difficult. When, that, when we're in that bind of <clears throat> financial pressures, 
trying to balance home life, work life, we need wisdom. But even when we fail, can we go to the next slide? It's on 2 Timothy 2.13. Those of us who are in the, to belong to Jesus, he knows what's going on with our families. He values families. Even when we're faithless and have no faith to what we're doing and we feel like we're failing, he remains faithful to us because he cannot deny himself. And he will meet our needs when we think we can't meet them. As we pray over our children and our families and we feel the stresses of life, economically, socially, challenges kids have now in schools, sports, to balance it all, it's really difficult. But we have a right heart for it. God will not fail us. So we started this uh, three weeks ago. We were talking about family and being part of the family of God. God created family for relationship predominantly. And Lucifer fell, became Satan. Adam and Eve, the first family, they fell. We ended up with uh, sinful natures. We ended up with a cursed earth. Jesus, the second Adam, restored us to the Father. In John 14, 6, and we've quoted this over the last couple of weeks, no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. We come to the Father by accepting Jesus Christ. The Father sent Jesus to destroy the works of the enemy. We are recruited into that army to do battle against Satan. Let us not forget that. You're on one side or the other. If you're not on God's side, by default, you're on Satan's side. It all depends on, it, it, it all has to do with identification. Who do you identify with? Do you identify with Jesus or are you identifying by default with the devil. To the degree that you identify with Jesus is to the degree that you will follow and obey him. And the more you obey him, Lord said, if you love me, you will obey me. The more you obey him, the more he will work in your life. God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional to obedience and love. It's not automatic. How do we identify with Jesus? First, by believing in him, declaring his lordship over our lives, believing he shed his blood for us, asking forgiveness for our sins. And then we are transformed into his likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into his image. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians 2.20, I have, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The more you die to self, 
which is your essential being distinguishing yourself from others. It's the totality of your emotions and thoughts. It's who we are. But the more we relinquish that and identify with Jesus, the more Christ-like we are and the more he works in our lives. We give up ourself to become Christ-like. And as we give up ourselves, we become something better. You become the better you. It's, a, it's paradoxical. Because this whole world is built on self-help. Build yourself up. Make yourself better. But the more you give up yourself and identify with Jesus, the better you become. He does it for you. It's ama- it's, you know, Peter thought he, Peter thought he was going to die for Christ. And he denied him three times. He really wasn't fully identified yet, was he? And he'd seen all the miracles. So, same with us. I mean, do we proclaim Jesus in the workplace? Do we talk about it? You know, I go on a plane trip. I give talks on antibiotics. <clears throat> I could be sitting next to somebody on the way to Chicago. And the guy could say, you know, on a business trip? Yep. Sure am. Uh, what is that about? Um, Got to talk about antibiotics. Uh, you know, I just I talk I talk to doctors. You talk to doctors. That's kind of neat. What do you talk to them about? Different diseases. Wow, in this day and age, that's really needed. And then he goes on with platitudes and ponderosities and all that. That's easy. How about if I'm on a plane trip on my way to Dallas, and I'm asked, "You on a business trip?" Well, sort of. Um, uh, I'm a speaker. What do you speak on? Well, I motivate men. Well, what do you do? I try to make them better husbands, better fathers, better salesmen. Well, boy, my men need that, my business. How do you do that? Well, I teach them that Christ-likeness and manhood is synonymous. Dead silence. <laughs> it's, the, it's the end of the conversation. <laughs> it ends right there. What did I do? I just died to self. I gave up myself and identified with Jesus. And in reality, that's who we are. That's what we need to be. We need to die to self. It's not me. It's him that lives in me. Same in church, same in families. It's an identification of children, wives with their husbands and their husbands with their families. I just, since this is the last night of the series, uh, and most of who I've become is from the Lord Jesus Christ, but also from my mentor, Edwin Lewis Cole, who died several de- decades ago, but a, a prominent, prominent minister in the men's ministry in the United States internationally. I want to read what he wrote about love, because he wrote it better than I could say it, and, and a tribute to him. Love focuses on the one... Okay, the provisions of love are identity, security, and stability. These are what Christ provides for the church and what men are to provide for their wives and families. Identity, security, and stability. When a woman takes a man's name in marriage, it is her visible expression of submission and relationship, which means that if the woman is willing to assume the man's name, then it's his responsibility to give her identity in his character. She will only identify with you to the degree of the greatness of your character. 
and then she's pleased to identify with you. A woman's security is not primarily found in her home, but in her relationship to her husband. It's not so much the name as it is what's in the heart. In this day and age, we have uh, women use their maiden names in the workplace. For many reasons, we have women that have hyphenated names. Maybe they're not unsure who they want to be. <laughs> but what really counts is what's in the heart of the people involved. You know, is there love between the couple? That means more. Because there are women who take on the men's name and really don't love their husbands. It's what's in the heart that counts. And there has to be unity. There is, the place of power is the place of unity. In God's family, as we call ourselves Christians, do you call yourself a Christian in the workplace? Do you identify with that? Are you fully bought in being a Christian, right? Are you fully bought in with your family that that's who you are? Are you, total, are you maximized in your marriage? Are you maximized in the family of God? And it all has to do with identification. If there's brokenness in identification, there's brokenness in relationship, and there's no power. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't vary. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God takes away. For the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the men kind of got beat up a little bit. <laughs> but Jesus, in addition, in Revelations 5, 5, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's the Lamb of God and king. When he was born, they gave him gifts as a king. When he was crucified, he was king of the Jews. He never was not king. The Israelites got mixed up in the Messianic messages. They were focused on Jesus coming back as king, which he will. And since he was crucified and he was a lamb, they missed that part. They still miss it, but we haven't. He's the lamb of God and he's the lion of Judah. And he's always had the same plan from the beginning of time. In the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, the church was manifested in Israel with the Israelites. The rest of the world was considered pagans and Gentiles. And they, folk, they, were, they worshiped false gods. Was the Israelites were the true believers. So the church as we would call them, the church, okay? How was that church structured? Prophet, priests, and kings. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the rest would hear from God and speak to the people. And we have their holy word in our Bible. We know what they said. 
The priests receive offerings and tithes from the rest. They cared for the house of God. They orchestrated sacrifices for the atonement of sins, which was needed until the real Lamb of God came, Jesus, and sacrificed his life for us. They spoke to God about the people, but they spoke to the people before they went to battle. They collected the offerings and tithes. The kings paid the offerings and tithes. The kings went to battle. The kings watched over their family and the nation they governed. There was very little cross between them, between the the offices, even when there was disagreements. When, When Saul was impatient for Samuel to come, to sacrifice for the battle he was getting into, he took it upon himself to do it. He crossed over and did a priestly work. That would be in 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And that was such an offense to Samuel, the event was so out of place, he said, but now your kingdom should not continue. He disqualified himself as a king because he performed a priestly role. And that was so out of character there. Priests provided the vision. Kings provided the provision. Same them, same now. We have those roles today. The lines are a little bit more murkier, but we do. Back then, kings didn't go to war without the priest's blessings. And the priests weren't able to provide for everybody without receiving tithes from the kings. The kings went to war to battle for God. We're in a war today. It's not the job of the priest the pastors, to go to war. They are to give us the vision, to guide us, to teach us. It's the men of the church that need to go to war for God. You go to Genesis 14, 14. When Lot was in trouble, Abraham sent 318 men to rescue him. Pastor has a sense of this because he's been telling us over and over, he can't do what we're supposed to do. He's told us at the men's meeting, bring somebody next month. 25 men show up, let's make it 50. He told us this morning, there's a stirring in the church, and I believe there is a stirring in the church. I sense it myself, bring them in. We have something really fortunate here as a stepping stone to go forward as a church because we have a priest, a pastor who knows his role. Many churches are in such disarray that the pastor has to be the fundraiser. (laughs) That's not his job. It's not Robert's job to be the fundraiser, to waste time. His, His anointing is not that. 
When pastors get out of their anointing to be fundraisers, they lose their anointing. It's up to the kings in the church, us, to be the fundraisers. It's up to us to go into the marketplace and work to bring the funds in for the church. It's up to us to go to war. It's up to the pastor to guide us. This is a clarion call. We're at the end of times. Around the time of Jesus, there were 300,000 people on earth, 300 million people on earth, 300 million people. Year 1900, there was 1.6 billion, which is, so it was 1.3 billion more in 1900 years. In the last 120 years, we've, we've added 6 billion. It's a geometric progression on the souls that are at risk for damnation versus heaven. It's the greatest time for salvation. It's the greatest time that we need to work to bring souls into the kingdom. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to walk into this church in the middle of little old Shinston, West Virginia, to figure out something's really going on here. <laughs> Something has been building. And the kingdom of God is geometric. It's mathematical. It's the same way. How many did you start with? 23, where you put the pews together yourselves. Well, the spirituality is going like this, but it's going to start taking off even more. What is our role? Harrison County and Marion County belong to God because we say so. Okay? We say so. It's our job to raise the men of this area. It's our job to get out of the church, to do the work of the ministry, to raise up the men and women and children of this area. It's our job to do what God has called us to do, our small part in what God expects us to do. It starts with the men. It always begins with the men, ends with the men. When Jesus fed the 5,000, they, they didn't count the women and children, they counted the men. Unfortunately, that's the way it always runs, right? It was how many men were fed. It was assumed the women and children were there. When Cornelius' family got saved, he and his family got saved. They were right in line. When Paul and Silas were in prison, when the, the guard got saved, he and his family, they got saved. It's up to the men to be the leaders to go forward. It's up to us to do that. It's up to us to bring the money into the church. Money follows ministry in the workplace. Men that go to work begrudgingly will not advance as much as those that go willingly. And look at this. I don't care what kind of work you do. It's ministry. You could be waiting on a table. You could be an executive. You could be a lineman in a factory. Your work, the Lord said, is you do it unto him. When you do it unto him, you'll advance. Money will always follow. Money is the life support system of the world, but it has to be in its proper perspective. The prime product is ministry. The byproduct is money. For money, men will sell their souls, women their bodies, and everyone else will be tempted to lose their virtue. Men spend most of their time 
thinking about money. In divorce, two areas of litigation is money and children. Families are destroyed by having too much or too little. Too much, how to spend it, too little, what are we going to do? Jesus said, what is the answer? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first and his wisdom and the rest will be added. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Who are you serving, God or money? 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The lust of money makes slaves out of men. Money is to be our servant. We are not to serve money. Men have a tendency to see the worth of their manhood in their wealth, not out of their relationship with God. God has never meant men to live without gain. And prosperity is a natural, sequential, ordered result of righteous living. God will always provide, some way, somewhere. He will always provide. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So today's kings in the kingdom of God, and that's who we are, is the battle, and today's battlefield is the marketplace. That's what we go and do battle. And we do battle to provide for our families, to provide for the church. We, when men catch that vision, that they're going to be part of something bigger than them, that is like awesome. When men catch the vision to be part of something greater than what they are, to acquire provision for the exploits for God, to change the nation, their country, their community, and their families. Families can't give to somebody else if they don't have money. A family may want to give, but there's no food on the table. They may hear about somebody in need. The more the family acquires, the more they can give. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what God wants. There are men of misplaced conquest. Where to go into the marketplace for conquest? If men have misplaced conquest, they miss their calling. David had a, was a man with a heart after God. A preacher several weeks ago, Pastor Robert preached several weeks ago on David's misplaced conquest. Instead of going to war like he was supposed to, he stayed home and he got into trouble with Bathsheba. And it affected his entire family. Men today can get to exploits of drugs, alcohol, sex, sin. Those are pretty obvious. But they get into trouble with misplaced conquest of overindulgence in toys. Be it golf, be it hunting, be it sports. Anything that gets in the way of what you're supposed to do for God and how you worship God is out of balance. Everything in life has to be in balance. It's easy for men to go to the marketplace because that's who we are. Again, men want conquest. To conquer in their job, women want relationship. 
When your life is harnessed for the kingdom of God, you need not look elsewhere for fulfillment. There's nothing more fulfilling than to do the work of the Lord. When your heart is really in it, when your heart wants to do what God wants you to do, there is nothing more fulfilling. Jesus came not to destroy the law and the prophets or not to replace the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we saw how we were in the Old Testament, there were prophet, priests, and kings. Well, Jesus came as prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled it all. And if you look at the first Peter 2.9, what, what Peter says about us, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kingly and priestly. We are because we are like Jesus. He was the first fruit of what we are. So we are to be prophet, priests, and kings in our homes. We are a holy nation. We are his special people chosen. Jesus came, is coming back as the Lion of Judah. He came as the Lion of Judah, as prophet, priest, and king. Our job is to guide, guard, and govern our families as prophet, priests, and kings, direct, protect, and correct. That is our role. Look at Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your children. Children, obey your parents in all things. That is God's divine order. The father is to be the head of the family as Christ is the head of the church. And he should serve his family in the way Christ served the church. As prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, we are to speak to our family what God has to say. We are to speak God's word to our family. We are to teach the word of God to our children instilling God's principles on the conduct of our lives. They look at Proverbs 22.6. You teach a child the way he should go, he would not depart from the ways of the Lord when he gets older. Yes, our children have choices. But for me, they don't. <laughs> okay? I, for me, they don't. Because you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. Yes, it's up to them, but it's up to us to instill that in them. That's our job as parents, is to be prophets into their lives. As a priest, we speak to God about our children and our spouses. And unless you talk to God and pray to God about your children, you should not talk to your children about God. You talk to God about your children, then you talk to your children about God. And as kings, how do, we rule? how do we rule at home? How do we lead? We lead by the way Jesus led, sacrificing ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves for our families, and that's how we lead. Fathers are to be esteemed and respected. Stewards who are greatly rewarded for what they do. Being a father is tough. It's easy for a mother to raise children because 
part of their uniqueness is relationships. And we are attracted, men are attracted to women because of their uniqueness. And part of that is their relation, the way they relate to their children. Men, we as fathers, have to learn how to do that. It doesn't come naturally. First Corinthians 4.19. It's an interesting scripture. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you may not have many fathers. Where are the fathers? For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, we don't have many fathers. They disappear. They want the woman to, be, to take lead. They just want to, most fathers out there want to go play their to- with their toys. Go to the workplace come home, enjoy their families, and not lead. When a man doesn't lead his family, there's revolution from below. And that happens and ends in divorce. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers, Paul wrote to the Corinthians then. How true is it today? Our job as the church is to go out and raise up fathers bring them into the church, to make our communities better, to make them godlike. Though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. It's fathers that matter. It's God's plan is to raise us up to take our proper place in the kingdom of God. There are two types of fathers. There's fabulous fathers and deadly dads. And you could be a fatherless father to one sibling, to one child, and a deadly dad to another. That's what David was like. He was a fabulous father to Solomon. Solomon built the temple. Absalom went crazy. Absalom rebelled against him and died. He was a deadly dad to Absalom, but he's a fabulous father to Solomon. Deadly dads are doting, drinking, discordant, demanding, demeaning, defeated, dispassionate. They can be abusive, emotionally and physically, and they can destroy their families and themselves. On the other hand, fabulous fathers want to see their sons and daughters grow to maturity, be productive, develop normally, enjoy their families. Like anything else, good parenting takes practice. None of us are perfect, but God is faithful. Godly fathers need to love as God loves. We need to love our children redemptively, with forgiveness for anything they do wrong, sacrificially and unconditionally. We need to show them love. We need to guide, guard, and govern, direct, protect, and correct. That's our role. We can't just 
close our eyes to what we see, what is wrong. We need to confront it and correct it with love. There's a book out there called Tough Love. I've read the book. (laughs) I don't think I agree with everything in the book. Sometimes tough love gives parents the permission to be somewhat abusive. There is a role for tough love. But we need to love our children redemptively, sacrificially, and unconditionally. Children may not do what you do, may not do what you say, but they will do what you do. They watch you. Children see us. They see us in action. A fabulous father must give his children acceptance, approval, and affection. And then you have the right to correct them. Acceptance, approval, and affection. You have no idea how much approval they want until you give it to them. And when you give it to them and they thank you in a way like, oh, I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. Children want approval from their parents, not just discipline. Discipline without love is abusive. It's important for us to bury our legacy of faith in the young minds and hearts of our children. That's the most important thing we can do as parents. We must bury our legacy of faith in Jesus Christ in the young minds and hearts of our children to live long after we are gone. That's our greatest legacy we can do, is give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must tell our wives, men, and our children, I love you. There's nothing, there's no humility in that. It's what we should do. Let's see. We're going to do a little Greek lesson. Let's everybody say, Se, agapo. That's I love you in Greek. So if you don't want to say it in English, tonight you can say it in Greek. Se, agapo. I love you. There's nothing wrong with saying that to your wives and your children all the time. God loves us. We need and show and say we love them. 1 John 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Can we turn to 1 John 3? How many of you are going to remember that? <laughs> First John 3, 7 to 10. Little children. And I want to stop right there before I read the rest. The word for... We have to do a Greek lesson. We do one every week, so we're going to do, we're going to do one. We're going to do a Greek lesson. The word for 
child or children is pedia in Greek. So when I looked in the New Testament to see what, this is little children. So I was curious to see how John wrote that. Did he say small child, small children? No, he used the word infant. And he, throughout all of 1 John, he uses techna or technea or technon. That's the word for infant. There's a difference the way parents treat their children and their infants. They guard their infants in such a different way because they are so helpless. And that's how God looks at us. We are infants in his, in his eyes. When he said little children, it's techna, little, little infants. Lost my spot. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. He remains, his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. We are either of God, children of God, or we are children of the devil. There's no in between. So we started this several weeks ago, Who's Your Daddy? I think we established that our Heavenly Father, Pati Ramon, is our dad through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've established that you're either with God or against God. You're either for him or against him. We've established that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Are we on that side? Do we want to participate in that? Are we going to take that seriously? Are we going to take being part of the family of God as serious as we take our own families? Is that where we are? Is that where we should be? We are his plan. We are God's plan. It's up to us to execute that plan. We are stewards of everything he gives us. Our lives, our families, everything God gives us, we are stewards. We are stewards of our wives' love. We are stewards of our children. We have to give accountability to ourselves, to God at some point. Matthew 25, 23. Well done, my good and faithful servant. How many of us want to hear that? How many of us want to work better at that? So I'm going to just pray over everybody. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the words spoken to, from you to, to everybody here tonight will burn in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that when you come back, you speak to every single one of us here, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, equip us with your spirit. Guide us. Show us what to do so we can do the work of the kingdom, Lord. And we thank you for who you are, what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. Make sure to rate the podcast and share with your friends. You can join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We have something for all ages or online at 10 a.m. Make sure to check out our live groups or small groups. 